This is the Relevant Life Church podcast, where we are about connecting with God, relating to people, and reaching our world. Tune in as our church goes through this week's teaching in God's Word. Good to have you this morning. We're glad that you're here. Glad that you came to church. We, we love, love gathering on Sunday. I uh, look across. I'm going, where's everybody at? But we have two campuses, so I'm like, going, maybe they're going to be over there. Maybe you're online, and we hope to see you there as well. Uh, hey, we have special guests in the room today. If you're here today and this is your first time, we welcome you. But uh, I'm not just overlooking you, but we have special guests from uh, Brogan and, and Sarah from Horizon. Assembly God Church up there. Would you give them a round of applause? Yeah. And I just wish that I had half the hair that Brogan did. You know, I mean, he can grow a manly beard, but look at those luscious locks. Just saying. I mean, I'm like going, wow, I wish I had that. Um, I'm envious, okay? Just saying, just envious. Uh, but we're, we're glad you're here this morning. Glad you, lo- glad you came. Uh, Want to give you an opportunity. Once again, Convoy of Hope is on the ground in, in Turkey, and they are still needing assistance and still needing help. I love the fact that as the Assemblies of God responds even before we even have an opportunity to give. And so as they're serving, as they're ministering, as we've heard from many missionaries that are over there and what they're b- putting up, soup kitchens and all sorts of things, what you give to today or what you've already given to is actually going to work right away. So we want to give you that opportunity and those giving, giving patterns are there. Um, so we thank you for that. Thank you for your obedience. Thank you for those that have already been given towards our South Campus auditor- our auditorium uh, speaker system over there. Uh, we value that so much. If you're going to be over at that campus, you will hear the glorious sound, because they're installed, and we just need you to continue to help us with those things. Do you love Jesus today? Yeah. Turn, to your and say, turn to your neighbor and say, do you love where you live? As we've been walking this journey, we've realized that it's not necessarily do you love the house that you live in, but do you love the location that God has placed you? Do you see the sovereignty of God that God has called you to a location and to a place and put you where you're at today? I can tell you that that's probably the most important thing, the most important step that if you could grasp that God has placed you here, you're not here by accident. You're, he's placed you where you are. Uh, we've been on this five-week, six-week-today journey of loving where we live. What does that look like? And the question that we've been asking is, what would it look like if you truly loved where you live? What would it look like? How would that change your behavior? How would that change how you lived? How would it change how you uh, walked out? How would it change how you related to people? If you really loved where you live, how would that impact you in any different way? Acts chapter 1 verse 8 has been our pattern and is going to be our pattern for the next several weeks as we continue on in this series. But it says, but you, but you, it begins with us, but you will receive the power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and he will transform you. He's going to make you into witnesses into Jerusalem, into Judea, into our, in, in, Jerusalem, uh, some, Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, into ends of the earth. So this whole concept, when we think about loving where you live, there's a four-stage, four-phase process when we begin to look at our lives, and we just finished phase number one with a personal transformation that God wants to change us personally before we can really love where we live. Uh, that loving, loving yourself and changing yourself and allowing God to change you is going to go into phase number two, which we begin today, of, of our home, of Jerusalem, of where we live, of, of our families and our, our children and our, distant, our, our relatives that are around us. And then our phase three that we will go into is the circle transformation of our friends and uh, people we work with, coworkers. Uh, and then we'll go to the place of how does that transform our city? How is that? How many want to see Salem transformed? We can walk and we can drive down through the streets of Salem and we can be angry of what's not changing, but can I tell you that the change begins with you? And we realize that this journey that we can be frustrated with what's not out there, but we have to come back and go, God, what about me? What about me? So today, as we step into this sermon, uh, home transformation, the transforming of your home, the transformation of how does that just we're not, are we talking about a remodeling of a house, of a building, or are we talking about a remodeling of people that are in the house? If you are familiar with Jif peanut butter, how many like peanut butter, Jif peanut butter? Back in 1968, there was a commercial that came out that said, Choosy Mothers Choose Jif. Yeah. 
Choosing Mothers Choose Jif. In 1956, Procter & Gamble took over a peanut factory, and they began to manufacture peanut butter. And they called that peanut butter Jif peanut butter. If you are familiar with some of you are in the room and you're going, back in that day, there were three top peanut butter companies. There was Skippy, and there was Peter Pan, and then Jif came on, on the scene, and they took this gamble, they took this, this risk to go, no, we want to be the number one peanut butter on planet Earth. And uh, as, as we see today, they are the number one selling peanut butter in the land. Why? Because choosy mothers choose Jif. In 1968, that's what the slogan began, and it began to go forward that revealed this very fact that, uh, that choosy moms, this tagline, set, set a, a, a stage that the mom, the stay-at-home mom, was a superhero and still is a superhero. And in that herodom that she was in was like going, I want to provide the best for my family. So they had this amazing stay-at-home mom on this commercial that goes saying, choosy moms, choose Jif. If you care about your family, you're going to choose Jif. If you love your family and you want the best for your family, you're going to pick the best product. And as we know that commercials, how they have an impact on people's lives, it claimed the freshness, um, it claimed the better flavor of fresh roasted peanuts. It appealed to the ability to be able to select and to choose the very best for your family. When we come back and we look at our lives, how many like to pick the best, best of things? When you go buy something, do you buy the lowest grade or do you buy, try to reach for the best grade, right? You know, I think many of us, we, we like the power of choosing, but are we choosing the best? We think about this concept of, of peanut butter and, and Jif particularly. Americans consume 270 million pounds of Jif peanut butter a year. That is peanut butter spread on a football field 55 feet thick. There are exactly... I don't know how they know this unless I count it. There are exactly 1,218 peanuts in a jar of 28-ounce 28, 28 jar of peanut butter. It takes 120 billion peanuts to produce the yearly consumed amount of Jif peanut butter. When we think about Jif peanut butter, and we, whether you like Skippy or whether you like Jif uh, or Adams or whatever it is that you eat, uh, I'm not the Adams guy because I, I like the, the sugar inside it. Right? You know, I don't like the texture and the grit and grain. But can I tell you, I love the ability to choose. And actually, I just eat the peanut butter that my wife buys. So if, if it goes from Skippy or Jif, we're just eating what's there, you know. Uh, but choosy moms, as we see here, choose, gift, choose Jif. The ability to choose. You know, I love the freedom of choices. I love the freedom of being able to choose. But how many feel the tension of choosing? You know, I always want to choose what's best. I want to know what God's will is. I want to live my life in the best way. And I can tell you that probably in my life that I am an overthinker, and I can go, did I choose the best thing? After I've already made the choice, after I've made the selection, did I choose the best thing? Anybody ever question your choosing after you've made the choice? Did I choose what was best? What I realize is that peanut butter is innocent. Who really cares what kind of peanut butter you eat? <laughs> My wife is more convicted, has more conviction about peanut butter than I do. But, but I come back and go, what about the big things in life? What about the car you're going to purchase or the house that you're going to purchase or the city that you're going to live in? What about the church that you go to? What about the person that you marry? What about the children that you have? What about how you're going to raise those children. What religion will you pursue? What kind of doctrine and theology will guide your home life? You know, as I do premarital counseling, I've done many, many weddings. One of the strongest uh, tensions in the room generally is between the engaged couple of going, how are we going to raise our children? I come back and I go to this concept of where Paul says, don't be, uh, too, don't be unequally yoked. 
Come from a background of understanding because I can tell you there is, you may go, well, I'm not worried about children right now, but can I tell you that when you have children, you're going to be worrying about how you're going to care for those kids. How are you going to raise those kids? What's going to guide you in raising those children? Your home. So today, the title of my message is Choosy Homes, Choose Jesus. Choosy Homes, Choose Jesus. There's a lot of religions out there. There's a lot of philosophies out there. There's a lot of brands that are out there, but the brand Jesus is the best brand. This English word we think about home is, is, a, is a place where one lives, especially as a member of a family or a household. Someone once said that home is where life makes up its mind. Home is where life makes up its mind. It's where the big decisions happen. It's where conversations take place. It's where uh, things are lived out in, in, a, in your home. This English word home is from the, the old English word ham, not the pig, but ham, okay? It refers to a village or an estate where many souls are gathered. It implies there's a physical dwelling involved. But the main idea is that it's a gathering of people. It's not a building It's the hearts that come together. One of the dictionaries said this. It says that the home is an abiding place of affections. An abiding place of affections. We hear that comment. We see signs if you go into, uh, what is the craft place over there? I just forgot. Hobby Lobby. There you go. Yeah. You're going to see home is where the heart is. The place of your affections. Again, we, you can, any place can be a home if the affections are there. Any place can be a home if the people are in the room. At the core of a home, it's not just where your heart is, but it's where the hearts of those you love are. Today, we may struggle with this concept because many, some of you may come from a perspective to go, but my home was not happy. I grew up in a home that was dysfunctional. I grew up in a home that was broken. I grew up in a home that caused trauma and distress in my life. Or maybe you're here and you're going, no, my home was where my heart was. I loved my home. I loved my family. I loved all of those things. And maybe you're like me. There were things that you loved and there were things that you despised. And you caught in between of all of those things. But the reality is, home is where the heart is. What I realize is that today in our culture, started about a thousand years ago, uh, people started putting portraits on the wall of family members, people that were important to them, and that has carried over into generations. Unless you come to our house, we don't have any portraits because we don't love people. No, just kidding. (laughs) My room is the only one that has people that I love because my wife doesn't put any photos. That's not true. I'm going to stop right there because (laughs) I've been resistant. No, I don't want pictures on the wall. But can I tell you this? The walls are just, are just walls, but it's the people on those walls that matter. It's the pictures. It's the people, the hearts that are there. This home, this concept, me and my house. Everyone say me and say my house. Me and my house. Choosy homes, choose Jesus. I think about this concept of me that... Who I am and what I choose doesn't just impact me, it it impacts my. It's not just a decision that you make for yourself. How many realize that in Christianity today, we like to come from the mindset of independence in America, when in reality, in, in the world, we should be interdependent? That your choices, even though they impact you, they also impact me. That me and my choices, me and my house are going to be impacted by how I live. My family, my home, my activities, where I live, what happens within the walls of my home is not just about me, but it's about my. What is allowed to be on the TV? What is allowed on the computer? What dominates my entertainment? What are the conversations? What are the attitudes that are ignored or even accepted? What are the behaviors that are accepted rather than redirected? Whether they're You're going, well, that's just me. No, it's also impacting my. Chuck Swinzall said this, this, whatever else may be said about the home, it is the bottom line. It is the, 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 the balance sheet, the anvil upon which attitudes and convictions are hammered out. 
It is the single most influential force in your earthly existence. Today, that's why we can come and we can go, well, no, my home will never be like it was when I grew up. Why? Because we've had bad experiences and we're going, no, it's not going to be. But can I tell you, it's the deepest impact in our lives, whether we walk from a healthy home or an unhealthy home, it has shaped us. Am I correct? We've all been shaped by not just the me, but the my aspect of who we are dwelling with. And the reality is, is the power of that choice. As we learned in our last phase to take care of your own soul, today we're beginning a phase that says to take care of your own home. Take care of your own soul, but you also have responsibility to take care of your own home. And that includes me and my. Theology of the Home by John Tweeddale. I want to read some stuff because he uh, is better at communicating than I am. Christians have long viewed the home as the hub of life. It is a nursery for aspiring astronauts, a playground for wannabe heroes, and sanctuary for weary but heaven-bound wayfarers. Home is a place of cultivating virtue through meandering conversations, large helpings of laughter, hearty meals, excruciating trials, and loads of hard work. Whether you are a child leaning to read, learning to read, a freshman in a dormitory, a single pursuing life and career, newlyweds settling into a first apartment, a family with a quiver full of children, or a widow or a widower navigating life without a spouse, the comfort of home is a stabilizing reality of life. Yet for many, the home is far from heaven. It would be called hell on earth for those suffering in the environment of oppression. The home is a cauldron of abuse, violence, and manipulation. It is a prison to escape from, not a refuge to run to. Still others have never had the privilege of permanent shelter, let alone experience the warmth of a fireplace. As we discuss the value of home, we must not lose sight of the fact that the guilt and corruption of the fall reaches into every heart, therefore into every home. When thinking through a theology of home, there are two equal but opposite errors that we must avoid. In the first place, we must not give the impression that, the, that life at home in a fallen world is everything. Yes, we must tend to the gardens of our homes, but we must also populate the pews of the church and venture into the highways of the world. The command of Jesus to go in the, in the Great Commission pushes those of us who are tempted to withdraw into the quiet habitat of home and see that when we settle for heaven on earth, we domesticate the kingdom according to our tastes and our traditions here on this planet. The reason we strive to make disciples of all nations is because Christ's kingdom is not of this world. It is If one tendency is to idealize or to idolize the home, then the other mistake we must avoid is marginalizing the home. We must not give the impression that life at home in a fallen world means nothing. This is the error of an overly priv- uh, privatized society. In the modern world, we have fallen into the deathly trap of believing that who we are in private has little to no bearing on what we do in public. Conviction and character are severed from policy and productivity. As a result, what someone in the confines of home is viewed as irrelevant, irrelevant to the success in the workplace. As Christians, however, as Christians, as Christ followers, as people who love Jesus. However, we understand that prayer, uh, that the prayer closet and the kitchen table are vital places for developing excellency in every area of life. Our view of productivity is inextricably linked to our view of piety or holiness. The reason is simple. The dividing wall between the private and the public is meaningless before the eyes of an all-knowing God. Can I tell you what's happened? I'll just sum it up here is that we have a secular and we have a, 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 a spiritual and we go, well, no, they're separate. Can I tell you, in God's eyes, they're not separate. How you live in your life, whether it's home or public, John goes on to say this, the home is not a neutral zone. The home is not a neutral zone for acting upon baseless desires, nor is it simply a bastion for maintaining traditional values. One of the primary purposes of the home is to cultivate Christ-like virtues that animate who we are in private and facilitate what we do in public. This side of heaven, home should be a place where faith, 
hope, and love flourish. Faith in the sure work of Christ crucified and resurrected. Hope in the power of the gospel to overcome the world, the flesh, and the devil. And love for a triune God whose glory and beauty knows no end. The Christian home in a fallen world is a place that's rooted in optimism. Rooted in the place where God has called us and optimistic about a far greater place that he's preparing for you and me. I love this last line. The home front is going to be on a slide. The home front is the abandoned battlefield of the cultural wars. In our striving to defend the gospel against doctrinal decline in the church and increasing secularism in the culture, we must not forget the importance of cultivating virtue in the home. For the church to remain a city on a hill, the light of the gospel must shine brightly in every home. If you are a Christ follower today, this should speak to you. If you've never understood the theology of home, this should reach out to you and go, no, there is something that is bigger than just a building, just a gathering of family members, this concept that the gospel has to shine brightly within our homes. One statement was from years ago, revival does not begin at the White House, it begins at your house. Levi Lusco says this, save the home and you save the world. We think about this and we can say yes, amen to it, but it has to come back to me and mine. Me and mine. How am I walking this out? The question that I ask you this morning is what would happen, what would happen if you loved your home with God's theology of the home? What would happen if you really loved your home? And you're saying, well, Pastor Kevin, are you saying I don't love my home? I don't know. Do you? Do you? Are you living your life in such a way that's structuring this home in a way that honors God? Today I want to read out of Joshua, one of my favorite books of the Old Testament, Joshua chapter 23. We see a man who fought a battle, fought many battles, a man who loved God, but he entered his life, came with a statement that I want to read to you in Joshua chapter 23 and 24. Today, I want to challenge you in this message that choosy homes choose Jesus. And Joshua's spirit, men and women, are going to choose the right product. Joshua's spirit, men and women, you say, well, Pastor Kevin, I don't have children. Can I tell you, it doesn't matter about having children or not. It's what are you choosing for your home? You may be a grandparent and going, my kids are gone, or my, great, my grandkids are gone. I'm going, what are you choosing for your home? What are you choosing for your heritage and for your legacy? You may be single today and going, I don't have kids, and I don't ever want to have kids. What are you choosing for your life and for your home and the legacy that you're going to leave? Joshua chapter 23, starting with verses 1 through 3, and then we'll skip to chapter 24. It says, After a long time had passed, and the Lord had given Israel rest from all their enemies around them, Joshua, Joshua by then a very old man, summoned all of Israel, their elders, leaders, judges, and officials, and said to them, I am very old. You yourselves have seen everything that the Lord your God has done. To all the nations, for your sake, it was the Lord your God who fought for you. I brought you to the land of the Amorites who lived east of the Jordan. They fought against you, but I gave them into your hands. I destroyed them from before you. I skipped to chapter 24. Jesus is talking here. I destroyed them. Our God is talking here. I destroyed them from before you, and you took possession of their land. Verse 11, then you crossed the Jordan and came to Jericho. The citizens of Jericho fought against you. As did all the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Gergesites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. But I gave them into your hands. I sent terror ahead of you, which drove them out before you. Also the two Amorite kings, you did not do it with your own sword and your own bow. So I gave you a land on which you did not toil and cities that you did not build. And you live in them and eat from the vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. Verse 14, now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day. Choosy moms, choose Jesus. Choosy homes, choose Jesus. Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your ancestors 
who served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are now living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. God, today I thank you for the power of your word. I thank you that you are the one that has anointed it. Now, God, I pray that you would anoint our ears and our hearts to receive his name. Amen. History of Joshua. You know, I look at this book and we see a lot of battles, a lot of wars that take place. Joshua, this hero that came on the scene and God who went before him and made his path clear and direct. And here they fought all these battles and they had a little ups, they had ups and downs. They had some deceptions within the ranks. But when they get to chapter 23, why did they do everything that they did? It was out of obedience to God, but why were they trying to conquer this promised land? We have to step back and realize, even in our homes, what are we trying to accomplish? Why are we going into the land anyway? Why do we have children anyway? Was it an accident? Not in God's eyes. Why do we have a legacy to leave? Because God gave us something to leave. We look at the story of Joshua and go, why did they get to where they're at? Now they have this land and they've conquered it and they're reeling in success. And Let's just kick back and let's relax. Isn't that the common mentality? You get home from work, let's just kick back and let's relax. The thing that we have to realize is that God was helping them to conquer the land to leave a legacy. It was never about the generation that did the fighting. It was about the generations that were going to follow. What I want you to realize today, that even though you are living in your world at this moment, and you're focused upon your generation that is at your, at your fingertips, can I tell you that it is about that generation, but even more so it's about the generations that are going to come after you? It's the legacy in which you are leaving. It is this Passing on of the mantle of God to the family members that follow. That's what it was all about. That's why when we, I don't want to skip too far into to judges, but get ahead, but that's why it was such a, a, a crisis in Israel when in Judges it says that they all turned away from God at the conclusion of Joshua's heritage. Wouldn't that be disheartening to you? Is it disheartening to you today? Joshua understood the power of the home. As he came to the end of his life, he called the leaders of Israel together for this one final message, saying, hey, I am dying. These are my last words to you. I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to be faithful to God. In the middle of his message, he reminds us of so many things. And this message comes to us that has been quoted and memorized. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. What I see in this segment of Scripture that we've read today, five decisions that are distinct decisions that Joshua had to make. Five distinct decisions that Joshua was going, if you want to choose Jesus for your home, you've got to choose these five things. Number one, make a decision to remember. Make a decision to remember. Joshua chapter 2, as we see this, is, says, You yourselves have seen the Lord your, what the Lord your God has done for, all these, for your sake amongst all these nations. It is the Lord who fought for you. It is I who brought you out. I gave, you, gave them into your hands. I destroyed them. I sent terror ahead of you. You did not do it with your own sword and bow. I gave you a land in, on which you did not toil and cities on which you did not build. Can I tell you today, when we step back into our lives and we step into Americanism, can I tell you today that you are reaping today what generations have laid down their lives for prior to you? If you think that you have accomplished this, I hate to blow your bubble. The greatest thing you could step back and learn is that, no, there are people that laid down their lives for this. This building stands today because there were men and women of God that laid down their finances, laid down their lives to build this building so that you can sit in it generations later. Same with our other campus over there. People that have invested of their lives. Remember, Joshua wants the people to never forget that they owe everything to God. I don't know about you, but we can get caught up in ourselves. We can get caught up in thinking how special we are. Imagine with me, 
Israel, the country, they get impressed with themselves. They're going, dude, we are unstoppable. Nothing can defeat us. Man, did you see Jacob shoot that arrow? Man, he is amazing. We can go down this whole thing and we can lift up and we can exalt. But the reality is, is this. The only reason they succeeded was because God went before them. It wasn't their skill. It wasn't their talent. It wasn't their ability to to wage war. We see a battle in the first part of Joshua that they went in and they actually lost it without God on their team. But isn't it true in our lives? That when we think we've got it, that's the beginning of our demise. When we think that, oh man, I am such a good dad, that's when we begin to take a nosedive. Man, I am such an amazing husband. That's when we begin to take a nosedive. Man, I'm such an amazing Christian. Man, God is so blessed to have me on his team. (laughs) It's when we begin to take a nosedive. It's when our life begins to crater. It's called pride. It's called arrogance. What we have to remember is this, that we are sinners who are saved by grace. We must remember that we cannot work and our goodness does not earn salvation. We do not live for ourselves. We don't spend money that is ours. We spend money that belongs to God. When we start climbing the ladder of career without asking God's direction, we're stepping out from underneath His purpose and plan for our lives. When we go to a church on Sundays but don't lead our homes for God throughout the week, when we don't teach our children the principles of God's Word, or even live by them ourselves. Can I tell you, we have to remember to review with our families what God has done. Where would you be without God? Can I tell you the importance of testimonies within your home? We did not do everything right, but can I remember, we remind Trenton and Sydney all the time, even to this day of going, honey, remember, he loves when I You see that at like a district event, and they're like going, honey, who are you talking to? But I go, honey, do you remember when God did this in your life? Can I tell you that you need to talk about what God has done, how God has provided, how God has healed, how God has restored? It needs to be a topic of discussion, whether you have a positive personality or a negative personality. If all that you do at home is complain and gripe, Rather than exalting this God, remembering who He is, a good memory of God's blessing is a defensive wall against pride and relapsing into error. Jacob, or Joshua, excuse me, is coming and and he's saying, you need to remember where you have come from. Remember this God who has saved you and brought you into the promised land. Number two, make a decision to serve. Joshua 24, 14 says this, Now fear the Lord and serve Him with all faithfulness. This word, uh, serve, is used in various, various forms 15 times in these two chapters. Joshua's coming and going, there is an importance of understanding this word to serve. Many times you and I think of serve, of putting on an apron and, and serving people or giving people serve or giving people food, but this concept of serving is, to, is this in the actual Hebrew. It says to serve God means to fear Him, to obey Him, and to worship Him only, to live for Him. When we think about this idea of serving, it's not just coming and going, okay, let me give something to God. He's going, no, I want you to give me your life. I want you to honor me with who you are, a serious, serious expectation. This, this, this idea of serving is heavy on Joshua's heart. Nothing mattered but this, that the people should willingly choose to serve the Lord. He specifies exactly what that means when he adds this whole word of all faithfulness. This word faithfulness means maintaining faith or allegiance to Let me ask you, when you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, did you realize at that moment that you're saying, God, I pledge allegiance to you, my Savior? We don't do it in our 
schools much anymore, but I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. But can I tell you that us as believers today, whether you're a parent, a grandparent, a teenager, a single adult, you need to come back and go, God, at that moment I accepted you. I pledge allegiance to you. I pledge allegiance with sincerity and truth. God, you can rely on me. God, I'm going to be loyal to you. God, I'm going to be wholehearted in my service of you. That's what Joshua's asking. If you're going to serve God, you've got to serve him with wholeheartedness. One writer talked about this service as an inner devotion. The Puritans talked about it as an inner devotion that causes us to honor God. You say, well, what does that inner devotion look like? It comes back to convictions and lifestyles, what you allow your life to be entertained with, about the me, the personal journey, the transformation that took place. But remember, your me impacts my And you go, well, how do I pass that inner devotion on to my family? Can I tell you it's caught more than it is taught? I don't want to remove the teaching part, but if you don't live it, they're never going to catch it. If you don't live it, they're going to come back and go, that's hypocrisy. If you don't live it, they're going to come back and go, that wasn't reality. It has to be important enough to you to serve God, to obey Him, to pledge allegiance to Him. And in that pledging of allegiance, it's going to be passed. It's going to be caught. Number three, we need to make a decision to discard. Joshua 24, 14 says, throw away the gods of your forefathers, the ones that they worship beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Today you can come and go, but I wasn't raised that way. But that's not my background. I had this experience Can I tell you today that we're all confronted with this choice to live the way we've always lived, to adopt the gods that we were given, or to choose Jesus, or choosy homes choose Jesus? Throw away old ideals, throw away old philosophies, discard wrong patterns. I don't remember who said it, but it's like you eat the fish and you throw out the bones. You got to find what's nutrients and what's good. And can I tell you that as you are become an adult and you look back at your childhood, whether it's good or whether it's bad, not everything was good and not everything was bad. And you have to go, what am I going to take and transfer? Throw away. This actual the Hebrew definition here is to discard, to cut off, to put away forever. To put away forever. When you think about your life, throw away, off, throw away those other gods. You're like going, well, no, I don't have any other religions. Well, let's look at our culture today. What is it that we need to put aside? Matthew Henry, a commentator, says this. He, he calls these, these other gods, these pagan gods, dunghill deities. If you don't know what a dunghill is, look it up. My dad would call it manure. I ask you today, is it manure or is it manure? Is it manure or manure? If you don't know what that is, ask a farmer, they'll tell you. Dunghill deities. He's saying they have no power to save, only power to corrupt. We come back in our culture today, we look at our lives today, and we go, what are dunghill deities that we have allowed in our homes? What are those things that we have allowed to come into our houses and we've accepted them as innocent? Could technology be classified as a dunghill deity? And you're saying, are you like wanting us to go back to the dark ages? I'm going, no, are you controlling the influence of those things in your home? What about gadgets? What about clothes, trinkets? What about stuff? What about pleasures? Self-absorbed pursuits. What about money? What about your home itself, the building that you live in? Dunghill deities that we allow to come in and reality in comparison to God, they're a pile of manure. They have no value, but they're distracting and deterring us. And Joshua's coming and going, you know, 
you know who the true God is. I'm going to present this picture. I'm reminding you of what, he, what he's done. And you know what your ancestors did. They served the God of the sun and the God of the moon and the God of the fire and the God of all these different things, of natural disaster and rain and darkness, the God of fertility, the God of sexual pleasure. And he's calling out all these things. They knew exactly what he was referring to. He's going, are you going to pick those or are you going to pick him? He's not coming back and going, you can have both and. Well, let's select the God over here on this side, but we really do want this God, but we're going to add a little bit of this. No, God's coming and going, you need to choose. You need to make a choice. You have to pick a God. You can't go between two mindsets. mindsets. Double-mindedness is deadly for you and is deadly for those who are following you. Double-mindedness, double behaviors, double-mindedness in, the, in, in your home causes confusion. It creates new religions. It reveals hypocrisy. Can I tell you today that where does this new age idea come from? Well, let's combine a little bit of God and a little bit of this and a little bit of this and a little bit of this and let's go, oh, we have a new age religion. Let's all believe it. I want to declare it straightforward today that there is one way to heaven, and his name is Jesus Christ and him crucified. There is no other religion that you can attach to it. You have to come to the reality of going, am I going to pick him? And in picking him, I have to deny everything else. Number four, make a decision to commit. Joshua 24, 15 says this, but if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then I'm just going to tell you, you have to choose. You can't have both and. You cannot have both and. If you want God, you're going to go His way and you're going to get God's blessings. But if you don't want God, you're going to go that way and you're, not going, to, you're going to receive God's judgments. That's just what He's basically saying to you. You have to make a choice. This idea of the word choose here is to examine in order to make a choice. Today, maybe you have come and you've blindly accepted this faith that we are walking out. Maybe you need to come to a place and you need to step back and examine, why do I believe what I believe? This God who's done so much for my life, this God who's been so faithful for me, or do I want what the world has to offer? Making your choice. Joshua's leading his people to a decision. The obvious answer here is what? The God of Israel. He's going, I'm painting this picture as plain as can be, but if you're going to be so blind and so deceived, you have to make a choice. He laid out this evidence and basically in so many words said, you are a fool if you do not follow God. And that reality, when we come to this idea of choosing, it comes to a personal decision. You have to personally decide who it is that you are going to serve. Because me is going to impact my. And parents, if you're a parent today, grandparents, if you're a grandparent today, I'm not letting you off. If you're a great-grandparent today, you have a responsibility in choosing. You have an obligation before God. You have an obligation to your children to honor Him and to show them the way. Lastly today is you need to make a decision to declare. Joshua 24, 15 comes with his boldness and his declaration. As for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Me and my. We've quoted this passage of Scripture. If you're a parent, you've quoted this passage of Scripture. If you're a believer, you've, followed, you've probably quoted this passage of Scripture. That me and my household, wow, I'm going to serve the Lord. I want you to imagine with me, if you would, Joshua standing in front of a million plus people declaring all of these statements that he'd made. And he ends his sermon, his challenge, that as for me, I'm presenting to you all this evidence, but as for me today and my household, we're going to serve the Lord. What gives Jacob this, or Joshua this confidence? 
What gives him this ability to be bold? I go all the way back to chapter 1 of Joshua, and he says, Jesus tells him, be bold and courageous. Do not be dismayed. Do not allow fear to overtake you. Joshua had seen the faithfulness of God through years of generations. Joshua is a grandparent now. He's an old man. What gives him the boldness and the confidence to be able to say that as for me and my household? He's not just saying for as for me and my wife. He's making a declaration that as for me and my household, all those that love have affections towards. We're going to serve the Lord. What does that look like? In the weeks to come, we're going to see a little bit more of this, but I think it's so important that we realize that I believe that Joshua was a man of relationship. And he could communicate in such a way of boldness because it wasn't a dictating of this is how you're going to live. He's going, I want to walk with you and I want to show you this God that we're serving. He passed it on to his kids and it was no longer a a top down, but they were walking in relationship to God and his grandkids were walking in relationship to God and that's why he could stand with such boldness to go, as for me and my house, we've talked about this. We've had this conversation. We're going to serve the Lord. In this statement, I see four things, four declarations. Number one, it's a public declaration. He goes, I don't care what the rest of you are going to do. Even though I'm a leader of this nation, I just want you to know that I'm drawing a line in the sand. And if you're, if you're for God, you can come with me. If you're not, I'm cutting ties. There was a declaration, a public declaration, that he could have been stoned, he could have been mocked, and maybe today in this room you've been mocked by a public declaration, by what your stance with God has been. And I want to say, honor God. This is not just a public declaration, but it's a personal declaration. You have to choose to serve the Lord. It won't happen by accident. Your faith is not inherited from a parent. It is not something that you prescribe and write on a sheet of paper and go, I bequeath to you my relationship with God. Moms and dads today with little children, You have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, but you have to pass that on to the next generation. You've got to lead them in relationship. You've got to lead them in understanding. And how does that happen? And how you structure your home. This is a persuasive declaration. The power of declaring. Can I tell you that probably as he spoke these words, there was a confidence that rose in the hearts of other men and women, other mothers and fathers to go, dude, if Josh was going to do this, I can do this. Can I tell you the power of persuasion? In this room, the power of persuasion, the power of your declaration, not just for other families and other homes, but those people outside of this place, the power of persuasion. This is also, fourthly, positional declaration. It meant that it changed the structure of how they lived. It changed their position. When Joshua said, as for me and my house, it was a movement of position to go, no, we are going to follow the structure that God declares as worship. We're going to sacrifice to what needs to be sacrificed. We're going to honor. We're going to live in obedience to. We're not going to do what all the other things are over here. We're changing position and we're going to honor God. What I find fascinating is that Joshua does not come and say, my house without me. He doesn't say, me without my house. Both are joined together in this whole process of saying, we're going to serve God as a household. Parent, today you have a responsibility. Choosey homes, choose Jesus. You have to make a decision to remember. You have to make a decision to serve with faithfulness. You have to make a decision to discard. Can I tell you that this is an ongoing process in our lives? You have to make a decision to commit. You have to make a decision to declare. It's repetitive. It's a lifestyle. It's not a once and done. 
What I want to leave you with, because we're looking for the big goal here, is impacting our community, impacting our culture, that your commitment to God influences family systems, but it also impacts cultural systems and will also impact governmental systems. As you, me, is going to impact my, it's going to impact our surrounding areas. As we look at our final words of commitment today, I actually put a phrase in there rather than leaving it blank because I want us to make a declaration today that's personal to us. If you would follow along with me and read it with me up there on the screen, let's do it together. I commit to not complain, sit on the sidelines, or wish I was somewhere else. Instead, I will pray, Jesus, may your kingdom come and your will be done in my home as it is in heaven. Heavenly Father, today as we make this declaration, God, it's so easy for us to step back and to see what could be wrong rather than doing what we know is right. God, today I pray for a new determination. I pray for a new ability to walk in decisions to honor you. God, as we step out of just the personal transformation and step into the home transformation, God, may we walk away knowing that choosy homes choose Jesus. That what I choose in me is going to overflow into my. God, I pray for transformation today. God, as we step into this first week of home transformation, God, this foundation that is so strong and so foundational. God, may we not hear condemnation today, but may we sense conviction in our hearts and in our lives. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, out of a heart for God today, say, if you would say this morning that you want to choose Jesus, would you just raise your hand today? I want to choose Jesus for my home. I want to choose Jesus for my home. And choosing Jesus for your home, you're saying, God, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to obey you. I'm pledging allegiance to you all over again. God, today you see every hand, you see every heart, you see every life. And God, today as we come, we thank you that you are a God that empowers us with grace and mercy to achieve what you're calling us towards. God, I love the fact that you're not a God that's looking for perfection. You're looking for, a, for a people who are obedient. And God, today I, I declare obedience over your I declare empowering over your people today. God, would you strengthen them to be what you've called them to be? God, help them to be the individual. But God, help them to live not just for the individual, but for their, their legacy that they're leaving, the decisions that are impacting so many other people. And God, we thank you for it today. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Our prayer team is coming around the front right now. If you need prayer, would you come and let them pray for you? We believe in the power of prayer. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. We will see you next week. God bless. Have an amazing week. There's so many events that are taking place. Go to the church app and be able to figure those things out so you can make sure you're there. God bless. Here at Relevant Life Church, it's our mission to see people connect with God, relate to one another, and reach our world. This single statement drives everything we do as a church. Our hope is that today you were encouraged in this. Thank you for joining us and have a blessed day.